Welcome to the Appalachian Baptist Network. We seek to equip, encourage, and engage pastors and church leaders in the Appalachian region. We focus on having conversations on church revitalization in the mountains and beyond. Your hosts are Matthew Jacobs, Brent Snyder, Jacob Gwynn, and Travis Tyler. Welcome back to the Appalachian Baptist Network. And uh, I would like to read you a quote to think about. And that is, show me a man who never made a mistake, and I'll show you a man who never made anything. Joining me today is Pastor Neil. Thanks for being back with us, buddy. Hey, so glad to be here. What's our topic today, brother? Well, we're talking about mistakes leaders make. You know, you last time I was with you, we we talked about shooting ourselves in the foot. Um, and and really that that came from a intentional or unintentional um habit that that we were we were doing it, it really in order to to sabotage our ministry and and in this case we're talking about those unintentional mistakes but 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 maybe you know mostly sin patterns uh that that we find that we can shoot ourselves in the foot with um as leaders and and this wouldn't necessarily be meant to sabotage our ministry yet we'll have the consequence of sabotaging our ministry yeah, I agree 100%. Um, we're going to be borrowing heavily today from Dave Croft's book, Mistakes Leaders Make, and we're going to kind of take those chapter heads and then those questions and talk through those and apply those in our particular context and also in other patterns we have seen in pastors today as well and in maybe even in our own lives. Depends on how transparent we want to get, right, Neil? So, yes. Hey, let, we'll, uh, we'll keep it real. And I think we're going to actually probably break this down. This is going to be a several several series here of several things uh, and so we're going to try to hit three today and the three we're going to try to hit today are going to be starting with allowing ministry to replace jesus neil what's this look like you know i i think allowing ministry to replace jesus is, is something we all run into and and so if i could give some of my own examples um i think it i think it's those moments where where you can you can let's say go to church on a sunday and your, your mindset is entirely on on getting through the morning in terms of potentially what you need to preach or what roles you need to play, welcoming new people, answering questions or concerns you get from regular attenders. And, and all the time you, you realize you can go through Sunday after Sunday without ever actually worshiping Jesus. And so that's a specific example. But I, I think it's when the process of getting it done in terms of our, our work as ministers sneakily replaces the process of adoring Jesus and being a part of his church family. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. There is a, we can become so, and this is probably cliche to many of our ministers that listen, but it's a real danger as a pastor to be so busy about kingdom work that you absolutely forget about the king. And that's the, yes. that's the problem here that we're, we're talking about. Um, and I think there's a couple of hard questions we need to ask, you know, in the book, he points out this point, who have you allowed to confront you when they see that you are pushing Jesus to the side and allowing ministry to sit on the throne of your life? I guess my first question is this now. I mean, who who is that close in our church that that we would give access like that to? Yeah, so so that's a great question. And, and for me personally, I, I've got a few different people um, that I try and open up. Or, or, or give them the opportunity to speak into my life at that level. One of those is, is a guy that I meet with on a regular basis. He, he is not currently an elder, but he has been on the elder board in previous years. Um, and prior to that, there was a, another guy as well that we meet every Tuesday morning. We talk, we pray. Um, and, and I try and be as, as open as, 
and as candid as possible and, and give them permission to speak into um, my life and my heart. So, so that's, that's one of the avenues. I, I also try and be as candid as I can. And, and, and again, I'm, I'm one of the unique guys on the team who is a, in an associate role, uh, even my senior pastor and, and try and be honest with him about my, my struggles, uh, issues or, or times I'm dealing with, with this kind of thing. So, so I, I think I try and offer that opportunity to as many people as possible. What have you found works well for you, Travis? You know, unfortunately in Baptist life, this is tricky because, uh, you know, and we probably could do a whole episode on proper accountability and help. But, um, you know, for me, I have, um, I have some fellow pastor friends that I let in pretty close here in the area and talk through issues. And they're able to speak truth in our life. I found it's harder in the body that I'm in because, and this may just be my own personal problem. Sometimes you don't know if a conversation that you're having just about your own soul and your own struggle is going to be turned around and used as a bullet against you later. And so there's a struggle with that. Uh, but uh, there are some that I would say I would, I would probably put in the category of able to deal with um, and, and share with, but that's going to be a very, very low number. And those are not always the people that end up on that personnel committee or whatever committee that is, but probably more guys in the deacon body that I would say are, are going to be in that category. So. You know, and, and that, what you said reminds me that how can I forget about the fact that you and I throughout our, our years in ministry have, have done just that for each other, that, that you've been yeah. a valuable friend and, and we have, we have equally shared our, 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 our successes, but also the more challenging moments in ministry. And so, so thankfully you've been somebody who has spoken hope and encouragement to me, not professionally merely, but also spiritually and, and as a faithful friend. So, so that, that's a huge resource that I, I can't believe I failed to mention. Well, thanks. I'll slip you the 20 later and sit and ditto here on this side of the same. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm looking for up north there. Yes. Uh, you know, it, really you're, you're looking for somebody you're going to give permission to be like a modern day, Nathan, you know, Nathan coming in to give that truth to David and who, who wanted to, to lay that truth out. Yeah. And, 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 and can I tell you a fun story along those lines uh, of somebody who, who I hadn't necessarily asked for this permission, but spoke wisely into my life. Um, and, and it wasn't so much about ministry getting into the way as it was hobbies getting in the way of, of my pursuing Jesus and even, even faithfulness to my role as a minister. But it was, uh, it was, it was the last year where I was in Champaign, Illinois. So this is going back about nine or 10 years now. Um, but I, I had just started getting into the, the hobby of, of hunting whitetail deer at the time. And, and I, I had been under the tutelage of a, a an area doctor named, uh, Jeff Hallett. And and he took me out to breakfast that last year there. So I, I would have been about 31 years old at the time. And and Dr. Hallett sat me down and we talked, we shared memories. And he said, Neil, he said, I, I, I'd encourage you to be careful with the time you're you're committing to this hobby. And he said, it, it's a lot of fun. And and again, I would say hunting is is like a lot of other um, hobbies that that kind of can fall into an impulsive gambling type situation. You're always hoping for the next time you'll see the big one. And he just said, Neil, you're not going to stand before the Lord someday and show him your, your big deer, uh, you know, rack mounts. Ooh, ooh. And he said, so, so make sure that you're living for the appropriate goals and not spending your life chasing after the wrong ones. And it was, it was a good word and a, a truthful word and a helpful word for me to think about going forward. And just to be clear, that doesn't mean that you should never get away from ministry and, and have those no. hobbies. I think you need them, but it's, I think he's talking about it begins to dominate your, your life. So, yes, not at all. Because again, and, and, and I think we have to be honest about this in terms of accountability is, is we have that freedom that, that we can invest a lot of time um, 
to some of those hobbies or other distractions because we don't necessarily have the oversight on a day in day out basis that that people in other professions may. That's right. Uh, real quick, we got to land the plane on this one and move on because of time. But uh, what are some indicators that we're looking for to tip us off that we're pushing Jesus off the throne and letting ministry kind of take that place? Well, again, if if I can go to that personal example I started with, I, I would come back to it and say this. This may not be true for everybody, but but if you find that you can sit through a Sunday morning service and you've thought more about what you need to do, who's in the room, in my case, sometimes what you're not getting to do that you would like to, then you have about the goodness of Jesus. So if you have not found yourself worshiping on a regular basis, I would say that's one indicator that that you have put your ministry on the throne uh, to replace Jesus. Um this may be more of a sign of burnout, but I think if you get into a mentality of I need to survive this Sunday mm-hmm. and that's like your focus, that could be an indicator that ministry is, ta- is is becoming too big of a deal and God is becoming less of a deal in your own personal worship as well. So uh, I think that's a great word. And and then, I mean, the, the stereotypical old time example, are, are we in the word to study and delight in it? Or are we in the word to prep for our next message teaching event? So that, I think that's another one to, to pay heed to. Um, if you have more dri- driven than lead is another one. If you're just constantly got to move on to the next leadership initiative and you're not being led by the spirit and led by Christ yourself in some capacity, and just able to enter into seasons of rest. I think those are another indicator. I think another indicator is you won't Sabbath. You won't take a break, right? I don't, I don't think that yes. if, you're, if you're really struggling to Sabbath at all, ministry has maybe just become an idol and you need to step back. I think that's a great point. Yeah. Uh, any others that come to your mind off of that too? No, no. Those, I think those are some great ones. And, and some of the ones that I think we find ourselves in regularly bitterness, anger. If, if you find yourself uh, more frustrated than, than loving towards the people you serve and, and that's real easy to be there. Um, mm-hmm. That I, that may be another indicator. Right. Hmm. All right. That's good. Now, uh, moving on to the next one. Uh, we're going to now talk about uh, another thing when mistakes that leaders can make, and that is allowing comparing to replace contentment, allowing comparing to complace contentment. Nobody probably plays the comparison game more than pastors. Would you say? I I hear you. I, 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 again, those, those questions he referenced in terms of talking about the size of our ministry, the effectiveness of initiatives, what everybody else is doing. Those are, those are the common questions we ask anytime we're together with pastors. The, um, the other thing too, there is realizing that there is a contentment is a rare jewel in the Christian life. And uh, we're, I think we kind of beat this drum a lot on the Appalachian Baptist network, but you're not really going to find true contentment in, in any kind of comparison. You know, I, I think that really we have to change our scorecards, right. As pastors. And we can't, we can't be scoring ourselves based on, numbers those can become idols that we sacrifice to and are happy to do so so you know as we think through this you know we we have to learn contentment in christ uh the reality is not everybody is called to be the pastor of a big church you know of a mega church of a thousand people and i know you serve a church that's a little larger than ours and we have listeners that serve churches smaller still than both of ours but uh you know, I, I don't think that there's anything inherently wrong with being a large church, but, you know, it's not necessarily anything inherently right about being a large church either. You know, there can still be a, 
a good community and faithful believers that are there. Uh, it's just a matter of, you know, what, what are we, what are we striving for in Christ first and foremost, and uh, not, uh, not compare Cause there's always going to be, you know, I found this true in just life in general. If you are good at basketball, there's always somebody a little better. <laughs> if you're good at, you know, football, there's somebody a little better. If you're good at golf, there's somebody that's just a little better than you are. And, uh, you know, you can, you'll always be able to find that in every discipline. There's always somebody a little bit better at preaching, a little bit better at, you know, communication, a little bit better at leadership, a little bit better at relationships than you are. So I just think it's very, you're, you're building yourself. Your, it's like Folsom prison. You're building yourself your own prison when you get in the comparison game. I mean, what, would you agree with that Neil? Well, I, I agree completely in it. And it's, it's entirely an, an issue of identity. When, when we are finding that um, comparison is, is replacing contentment, then, then a part of what we're also demonstrating is our identity is rooted in what we have accomplished or what we are doing. And, and, and that is not biblical truth for any Christian or the pastor. Our, our identity is rooted in Christ. And so our contentment comes from the completed work of Jesus that has been applied to us and a righteousness, uh, a good standing before our Heavenly Father that we don't earn or deserve. So, so in that sense, contentment is, is somewhat demonstrating a lack of reliance on Christ, or at least a, a slipping from our reliance on Christ. And so sometimes we, we need to rehearse where our root identity is rooted when we find those moments of discouragement based on what we have accomplished. God, God doesn't look at us with pleasure because of the size of our ministry um, or, or, or even because of, of the, the success we are having, but he looks at us based on the person and work of Christ with pleasure and affection. So, so I think that that's a huge issue. It, it, it comes from who we are and, and how we see ourselves. And it, it's so easy to to base that identity and our understanding of ourselves off what we do which is is just a it's a you know it's a a a theological smack in the face to the one mm-hmm. who has given so much to right. redeem us mm-hmm. yeah. uh what do you think are some indicators that we're moving down this path of letting comparison replace con- replace contentment oh man that you, you know again i i think just lack of satisfaction i i, I think um discontentment in, in any form. And, 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 and another one I could think of that, that I, I, I wrestle with. And, and again, I, I just can think of personal examples so easily, but, but, you know, my wife and I, when we, we moved up here, it took us four years to sell our house in Illinois. And, and that was a, a painful financial time. Well, well, a great example of, of how contentment and trust in the Lord is tested is, is when you hear a good friend or a neighbor who, who managed to sell their house in a few days or hours or before they listed on the market, when you, you find yourself being unable to rejoice with those who are rejoicing, it may be that you're struggling with discontentment because of comparison rather than contentment for what God has done for you. Yeah, 100%. And then uh, we're going to have to move into our last one here, although I think we could probably spend more time on this one, but we're going to try to keep these relatively shorter. Uh, and that's going to be my bad <laughs> allowing <laughs> pride to replace humility. Uh, when I, when I think about this one, I, I think about um, the quote, John Stott, the author gives us in the book, pride is the greatest enemy and humility, our greatest friend. And uh, I, I was listening to a podcast recently from, um, it was in the series with Who Killed Mars Hill with Christianity Today. So I'll, I've enjoyed that series. I don't know if you've kept up with it or not, Neil. Have you been listening? No, I started the first one and have not been able to keep up. But as long as you bring that up, we can point out that, that Kraft was, was on staff yeah, I think at he Mars was. Hill. He was and, at Mars and Hill. And so, 
So I don't know about you, but as I've been reading these anonymous stories of, of staff members that he puts, I can't help but imagine these are staff That's... members at Capitol Hill. And, and again, a few of those in the church world at are Mars known, Hill, you know, you yeah. yes, at Mars Hill. So a few of those out there are still names we may know. So I can't help but wonder, is, is that that guy or is that so? Yeah, and so, yeah. Well, I, yeah. It, I, I, the, the episode this week was actually, it didn't have anything to do with Mars Hill. It was an episode with... Um, the guy that wrote, I kissed dating goodbye, Josh Harris, who, yes. if you're not familiar with him, he was sort of like the poster boy for young pastoral leaders. Whenever we were younger, Neil, right. And yes. every youth group in America did that book and, you know, purity culture and all that. And, and he sold over, I think a million copies. And now Josh Harris has divorced his wife and is claiming he is an atheist that he has walked away from, the, or at least an agnostic, I guess might be a better, more fair way to categorize him. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the things that stuck out to me, he was talking about, there was a guy that came to do some consulting work whenever the Sovereign Grace Church, he was pastoring, C.J. Mahaney's old church, was uh, beginning to have some trouble, and uh, he was trying to, I guess, convince this guy of how good of a church that they were in, and he, he kept saying, oh, we're such a humble church, we're very humble, and the guy said, and you're so aware of your humility. <laughs> <laughs> And he said it just kind of got him like a dart there, right? Um, So, you know, what this one I think is probably uh, hard for leaders because it's like, you know, where where is the line with humility and pride? And, you know, what's, you know, people talk about wanting strong leadership or whatever, but where, where is the line between strong leadership and downright prideful leadership? Oh, man, this one is so challenging. And, and again, I, I personally have seen it re- it's rear its ugly head in my own life. And, and you don't even realize how proud you are until you find yourself thinking or saying things that are so rooted in pride. As you hear yourself say it or think it, you're kind of disgusted. You throw up in your, you know, mental mouth a little bit, if you know what I mean there. So, so yeah, it, it, it's a pretty tough one, Travis. And, and what do you, I mean, I want to throw this one at you because I'm talking too much today, but uh, where do you see this most clearly evidenced is, or, or what are the, the, the evidences that you are, are wrestling with pride? I think indicators are um, one indicator that you have become prideful in my opinion. And this is something we've seen, you know, in your own lives and also in the story of Mars Hill, who is someone that you will listen to? And when they bring repentance, that an area that you need to repent over, will you listen to them and repent? One of the things we're seeing emerge in that story with Mars Hill, and we're not trying to make clickbait or nothing. It's just such a good example, you know what I mean, for what we're trying to use here, uh, was that Mark Driscoll, the, the way they're pointing this out, and I'm, I know Mark Driscoll is not here to defend himself. So if Mark Driscoll, you're listening and you ever want to chime in, we'll interview you and give you a chance to give your side of the story. But the way they're framing it is uh, this way that, that there was only four authorities in his life. And that was, you know, the visions he got for different things in ministry, which those some of those were crazy. You know, I don't even know what to think about some of those. His wife and the Bible and mark driscoll like he was an authority unto himself (laughs) so those were the four authority sources he would listen to and no and it got to a point where the case they're making is no one else could really speak truth into their lives and so i think a big indicator is is there no one else outside that for those four things the bible your wife and um you know the maybe the leading of the spirit is there no person who is godly enough in your eyes to speak that truth into your into your life you know uh, I think that's a big indicator. 
Uh, second thing that I would say with that is, um, are you always finding that you're right all the time? You know what I mean? Like, are you, are you ever willing to admit you're wrong? And, and, you know, I think sometimes in our minds and we, we kind of saw this, I'm not going to make this a political episode, but one of the things that always scared me about president Trump was I can't think of any time he ever admitted any mistakes that he made. Can you think of any ever? Well, I think he covered that when he, he let us know that he never felt the need to repent. Yeah. Yeah. I and, mean, that was just so, the attitude. And so, you know, there was this, there was this prideful air that he had. And a lot of people called it, you know, it ventured from strong leadership into just downright arrogance. And a lot of people couldn't tolerate and stomach that. But I think in our churches, you know, uh, another indicator is, are you quick to ask for forgiveness? Like, or do you just not do it? Like, you know, and, and this is going to take take place in two places, one in the home and two in the church. And, you know, I, I know that you're, you're not going to, you can't repent for things that you're not responsible for. Like sometimes people accuse you of things as a pastor and it's just not true. And you can't repent of things you can, you never did, but man, there's usually something you can repent for. Um, and, you know, somebody brings you, I like what one of my friends up in Indiana used to say, Gary Yoakum, pastor friend of mine, he would tell me, you know, Travis, if somebody pours five gallons of sand on top of your head, there may be one grain of truth in there. You know, can we hear from our enemies, you know, even truth that they're saying, like, can we, can we take that or do we just brush it all off? I think it's another indicator of whether or not we have a prideful heart and a prideful spirit. But uh, what do you think about those indicators? Have I left any out? No, I, I, I think those are, are phenomenal indicators that, that we are. And, and, and ironically enough, with the Driscoll example, he, he was a guy that taught heavily on a plurality of elders. And, and when, when there are no fellow leaders of your church who can speak into your life, that, that's, that's a pretty scary or shocking statement, you know, when, when you think about his, his view of ecclesiology there. So, so yeah, if, if we don't have any brothers who, who are alongside of us who can, can talk into our hearts and our lives, that is that that shows in and of itself our understanding of ourselves as a part of the church is different than what we would expect of a of an, another believer i mean do we really believe what Proverbs says when it says more faithful is wounds of a friend than kisses of an enemy mm-hmm. or do yes. we just brush that verse off and say you know because you, you think about this when somebody when somebody that's your ally or your friend in the church when they come to you and have to tell you something hard it takes a level of guts to do that like it, it's hard for them to have that conversation. So are you just going to brush it off or are you going to try to take as much of it as you can to heart and make the adjustments that you need to make? Uh, you know, and that's, that's just sort of the messiness of relationships and the hardness of it. But this is what we do. Relationships are what we do as pastors. And if we're constantly exuding arrogance and pride, you may be able to run sort of a dictatorship church, but I don't think you're going to have intimate relationships with your flock. Do you think Neil? No, I don't think so. And, and our approachability will ultimately set the tone for the approachability of the entire church family. So, so if we as leaders are not open to, um, you know, you hate to use the word criticism, but biblical criticism, um, then, then I don't know that we should be surprised when, when as a whole, our church is, is the same. Yeah. I like this uh, prayer that Croft offers here at the conclusion of this chapter. He says, Lord Jesus, forgive me for eclipsing you and making what is clearly your work and your story about me. I confess and repent that I am full of pride and self-importance 
And I am sorry for using people to achieve my ends instead of loving them to achieve your ends. Ooh, that one cuts a little bit, doesn't it? That, that is you huge. You know, the ultimate mark, I guess, and that, that prayer points out one final marker is how do you view people in your church? Do you view them as a means to an end or do you, you view them as the end of ministry themselves? I mean, you're, you're, what does he say here in this last sentence? Um, I'm sorry for using people to achieve my ends instead of loving them to achieve your ends. The ends we're always after is the ends that Christ has in mind. And uh, being, being able to, to distinguish that is critical for a pastor. Mm. Oh, that that's huge. And, and, and what a, what a convicting prayer and, and what a challenge, especially because, because again, realistically, there's always another ministry opportunity. There's always a need that, that you in terms of organizationally are trying to fill. And, and so it is so easy to get into the habit of making calls of reaching out to people when needed and not, um, not doing so just out of genuine care and desire to speak well into their life. So that, that is, oh man, what a challenging prayer that he included in that chapter. All right, now we need to land the plane. Any closing thoughts today on this one? We're going to do this. Let's see. We're probably going to do at least one more session, maybe two, maybe two in this. This may end up being a three-parter as a kind of look at this because I do want to give a little bit of time to each one of these for our pastors that are listening. And, and, yeah. and I, I think what I'd like to hear though, too, Neil, is there are laity that listen to our podcast as well. Like what, what would you encourage and say to them that are listening as we're talking about primarily mistakes that pastors make? Oh man, for, for the lay person, I would just uh, encourage them to affirm for their pastor uh, the space and freedom for him to be a genuine follower of Jesus. So, so in other words, um, give him space to express tiredness, frustration, um, and, and even make sure that he has someone, and, and it may not be you, but but someone that he can go to and, and be honest about his struggles with sin. I, I think the more that we perpetuate a idea or an understanding of a pastor who, who is so far above the flock that he doesn't have his own issues of sin, that the more danger we are placing that, that leader under of, of not being able to deal with sin at the little level, um, and then we run into sin at the big level, which can be ministry ending and church church destroying. So, so allowing them the space and, and giving them the freedom to be honest about the struggles of their heart and, and knowing that they have struggles in their heart, I think is a, a great aid to a pastor trying to both lead a church and also organizationally and also be a follower of Jesus individually and a part of the body. I think that's the perfect word to end on today. Join us next week as we head into part two for mistakes that pastors make. And be sure to be extending the same grace that you hope the Lord will extend to you uh, as you work through this with your church family. Uh, Have a great day, Neil. Thanks for being with us today. Look forward to next week. Always fun to talk. You have been listening to the Appalachian Baptist Network. Thanks for joining us. If you have a question or comment for our host, please send an email to AppalachianBaptistNetwork at gmail.com or send us a voice message on our Anchor website page at anchor.fm slash Appalachian dash Baptist dash network. Join us again next Monday.